Welcome to Amusement Sparks, the theme park design show. I'm your host, Andrew Spawn, and with us today is Stephen Dinehart IV of the Giant Lands podcast, Amusement Sparks' sister show. And you do a lot of other stuff, Stephen, of course. Hopefully the audience knows that already, but uh, we're here today to kind of talk about COVID-19 and how this is going to impact the future of theme parks. Uh, I do want to look at it from kind of an optimistic perspective, like, but also being realistic. And neither of us are medical professionals, so we don't really know what we're talking about, but we're just people who love theme parks and want to see the industry evolve forward, uh, regardless of any kind of, you know, viral outbreak. But now we need to be kind of cognizant of that and see what we can design uh, as sort of solutions around that. But how are you doing these days, man? Oh, you know, I think it's uh, just like for everyone, it's a bit challenging. So, uh, you know, there's been some uh, benefits I think we can all speak to uh, from sort of being stranded at home without uh, kind of the traditional outlets. Um, and uh, but, you know, it's it's uh, it's hard. I think it's hard on all of us. I think to some extent we're all uh, experiencing trauma and, uh, you know, there's a lot of traumatic responses. So, you know, I see some people really hustling um, and, you know, more power to them, I guess, if they have a team that enables them. My response has been a little slower. Um, I'm not so quick to knee jerk on this stuff and I'm not sure how helpful it is to, to pivot so quickly. Um, and obviously we're in this, uh, tremendously exceptional moment, um, when, uh, all of our major parks are closed, which has never happened really, except for, you know, hurricanes and stuff, but those rarely hit all locations at once. Like this is, I forget what the you know exact number was, but I had looked it up at one point there. You know, Disney uh, World, I believe, in its entire history, was only closed something like three to seven days. and was very brief. Um, and now here, here we are, you know, a span of weeks into months. And some people are talking like it might be this way well into next year. Yeah, and it's also crazy to think about the, I mean, obviously the health concern is number one. And I'm really excited and happy that like so many governments around the world are taking that seriously uh, now. But um, it's kind of also scary to think about these kind of creative companies, whether they're making movies or making TV shows or operating theme parks or small businesses of any kind that might die because of this. You know, there's there's loans available and, you know, government seems to be helping out where it can. And, you know, patrons of these places are also showing up, you know, in droves for supporting these businesses. But it's also, I think it's going to shake some things up. Like some companies might just go out of business. I've seen that in the construction industry where I work. Some firms are just like, well, we're dead. We're done. You know, we're closed. We were, you know, maybe thinking about closing soon anyway. And obviously this is a big moment um, where people are going to get a kind of an economic hit, a lot of businesses. So they just chose now is a good time to get out of here. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what changes. Um, I'm kind of curious and kind of scared for the future of like themed entertainment you know if people are going to see this as more of a negative thing or more of a risky thing than ever before just because people gather in large numbers at these places um so it'll be interesting to see yeah what what evolves out of this what changes what the new kind of social standards are for for themed entertainment in general and i hope the theme park you know companies can survive and make some some progress out of this but i do think they'll need to make some changes to the way things are done currently yeah, you know, I go back and forth uh, in terms of my own kind of train of thought. You know, I guess it's a big a bit of dissonance, but it's, you know, the idea you can have two conflicting uh, trains of thought at the same time. Part of me, and I, I hear it from a lot of other folks, to say this is the new normal, 
right? Yeah. And uh, we're going to have to address uh, a range of, you know, policies, um, as you mentioned, uh, to uh, address safety. And, you know, at, at parks, really, that's, that's what we do first and foremost, um, is keep people safe and give them a safe place to kind of live out these fantasies and experiences. And, you know, it helps us from a business standpoint, certainly, because if someone feels, you know, Maslow's Pyramid of Needs, you know, they're safe, they got a place to go, you know, they're going to move into self-actualization and buy a lot of goods, right? Totally. Uh, but, you know, it's also, I think, uh, just an important part of what we do is that you can come and uh, play um, in a space that's safe, but takes you kind of over the edge, you know, into these adventures, um, and, uh, you know, really the first, my first, um, experience, uh, with it was the shooting, uh, that happened, uh, in Orlando, which was prior to me relocating down there. And it really affected all of Orlando and people became really concerned that someone could do this anywhere. So Universal had, I think the best response. I always felt very safe at Universal as a result. Um, on entry, they implemented, um, checks for all guests, um, metal detector, as well as bag checks. So on entry, even uh, employees uh, have to go through security checks, um, which, you know, at first I was sort of put off by it, to tell you the truth, but it puts you in a space uh, where you're safe and you don't think someone's going to pull out a firearm. Right. Sure, this, this is different than a virus, but to some extent, you know, I think it's, it's, it's a it's a good uh, uh, analogy for what we're going through now. Disney, on the other hand, was very slow uh, to respond. I, I guess the idea is now they have uh, checks on everyone, but I don't really believe that hmm. um, because I, um, you know, was going to those parks a lot um, when I was lived down there in uh, Orlando, and um, they were sort of um, what do they call them? Spot checks, right? So you know, every now and then someone might stop you and say, "Hey, can I look in your bag?" Um, there was definitely no metal detection. Uh, and, you know, to some extent, it was a little scary. No, nothing happened. Uh, but, you know, I have seen um, events uh, online where, you know, people do uh, assault other people in Disney parks. Um, and um, I'm actually usually surprised at the slow response from security. So um, uh, I think Universal sort of implemented this best uh, and... Um, really helped to keep guests safe. So, you know, that mission uh, will continue. There's obviously a ton of people uh, all over the place, you know, uh, looking to, to create at least the impression of safety. So on the other side um, is this idea that infectious disease is nothing new. Um, we've had uh, viruses, you know, for our entire existence uh, on planet Earth, and we've seemed to do it pretty successfully. Sure, we have um, a lot bigger populations now. We have people traveling a lot more. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's just it's just really not that new. And um, our response is, I think we perhaps care more um, or are trying to care more uh, than we did in the past. Um, but, um, you know, myself, I've gone through some trauma in my own life. Um, and what I find most amazing about... Uh, traumatic experiences is how quickly we forget. And uh, while everyone is saying, hey, we're going to change everything, there's, a, I think, a healthy skepticism I have. Hopefully it won't cost any life and, and we'll get to a space 
where people feel safe uh, in the parks again and uh, aren't afraid to be so close to strangers eventually essentially just return to norms um and yeah that'll take some time you know it's it's like if you go to (laughs) california is the worst i've ever seen you ever seen these signs at like a hotel pool or a public pool like you know if you have the runs do not get in this water (laughs) do not get in this water i i was a lifeguard for five summers and there should have been more signs like that (laughs) (laughs) no there in in california it's, it's like required and they're like prominent you're like going to get in the hot tub you think you're gonna have a good time the first thing you read about is diarrhea yeah puts a bad taste in your mouth even if it didn't happen yet (laughs) yeah i wonder what's in that water um (laughs) you know there's there's a lot of diseased people out there right now you know a lot of us have viruses you know the the you know there's microbes everywhere and um we've uh, successfully overcome that as a species for you know our entire existence so i have no doubt we'll do that again with this um, and eventually, eventually we'll return to some kind of norm. Um, that said, I think what's most important right now is the appearance of safety, um, because what this has done really for a lot of us is enabled all these kind of OCD uh, sort of behaviors. And, you know, I think uh, it's healthy to remind people to, you know, have good hygiene uh, and to be careful when they're sick. And to not go out, but you know that's nothing new, right? It's just something we always should have done, right? And we should li- live in a society that allows that to happen, so that if you're sick, you don't have to go to work, right? And that is a, a real thing I've kind of fought against as being on the like wellness committee at work is people go to work sick all the time because they prioritize their productivity or you know not losing steam with what they're working on or realizing that there's deadlines they need to meet over yeah but you could get you know everyone else at at the office sick and that's going to slow the company down way more but i do think this hopefully will be kind of an eye-opening experience in some ways i think that'll be the most obvious one is hey if you're sick please realize what a virus can do if you start spreading it around but um also i think i don't know for myself it's been kind of eye-opening to realize uh how much i enjoy like being home and like doing chores and like being productive at home and i don't know like i kind of took that for granted before like i don't know if there was we've been working on kind of like remodeling the basement and it's like i haven't really done anything down there in a long time because i don't have that much free time but being here kind of you know working from home i like think about that kind of stuff more like oh man after work i'll still have energy because i won't have to have been driving for you know hour plus getting to work and getting home and everything where i can put that energy into working on the home and appreciating what we have here and I don't know my social, like my relationships too, I'd kind of been not necessarily taking for granted, but now that I have time to communicate with people and, you know, using technology more instead of trying to coordinate like a face-to-face thing to get dinner, I'm keeping in touch with my friends more. It's been super rewarding in a lot of ways. And so I don't know, that's just, you know, my personal things I've kind of learned from this, but I think that hopefully as a society, we learn more things about, you know, being aware of, of disease for one, hopefully not being too paranoid about it, but having a healthy amount of, of understanding and realization of what's going on there. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's, it's kind of interesting. We have obviously had viruses our whole existence, but this is a novel virus. You know, it's a new kind, kind of a surprising thing. Um, and so hopefully people don't get too much, you know, paranoia and it doesn't cause too much additional anxiety, but we can kind of hopefully learn from this because, 
it's really hard to teach people something unless you force them to go through it themselves. You know, if, if someone's not empathetic by nature, it's really hard to make them be empathetic. But I'm hoping that this has, uh, has helped some people to learn that. Although I do realize the main people who are like displaced and put out of work are generally more liberal people anyway, you know, younger people or people who are or lower income. Like I know those are big sweeping generalizations, but sometimes I feel like the people who are more close-minded are the ones who didn't seem to get affected by this too much. You know, it's like <laughs> they're pretty safe in their job. They're pretty, you know, stable with their home life and everything. Um, and they have enough money and savings to be fine. But I don't know. It's, it's always kind of rough that the people who are hit the most hard by these kinds of pandemics are also the ones who already realize we need better, you know, healthcare and better uh, support for our, you know, co-humans on the planet. You know, I think this has affected all of us so much that it would be really hard to deny it, but there still will be deniers when it's over, right? And um, they'll say it was all, a, you know, a hoax. Um, but if we do this effectively, um, yeah, it won't affect as many people. And and that's that's the whole idea of it, right? So if, if you're doing the job, you won't get sick. You won't see others get sick as much. Um, and uh, you know, sadly, that's uh, that creates the mis- mis- misconception that it's it's not doing anything. Personally, I think I already had it. Uh, something swept through our house uh, in early March and uh, got everyone sick. I've never been that sick in my life. I had fever for days. Yeah, you were not yourself. I remember we were kind of messaging during that time. I'm like, man, Stephen seems like he's going through some stuff, like some sickness. Yeah, it was like, I you know, tell people it was like jungle fever stuff. It was weird, man. And, um, you know, I would wake up like in, basically in a pool of sweat for several nights in a row. I, I went to the doctor because I could barely walk and I was having a hard time breathing. And, you know, they uh, they checked me out. But at the time, um, I'm not sure if it's really changed, but here uh, in the state of Wisconsin, uh, you weren't allowed to get a test uh, without approval from the Department of Health. And so I went in there, they agreed I had, you know, flu-like symptoms, I had a fever, my oxygen levels were low, they gave me uh, some x-rays and said, oh, well, you don't have pneumonia. And they basically said, uh, if look, if, you, if your fever lasts longer than five days, uh, give us a call uh, and sent me home. And um, part of it, yeah, I don't have, you know, the, the Corvette of health insurance, I realize, and, you know, uh, you know, that's you know, there's certainly plenty of elitism going on out there. You know, you hear about Tom Hanks this and whatever else. And it's like, well, how did Tom Hanks get a test three months ago or two months ago? We can't afford to lose Tom Hanks, but, you know, the little guy, who cares? Right. And so and you, you hear all kinds of stories like that. People that, you know, just couldn't get tested. I hear less of them now, but, um, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's hard to know what's, what's really uh, happening. And, um, you know, I think it's one of those things that we'll get a better picture of it as we get some distance from it. You know, the real question, I guess, for us uh, in the context of what we're doing with Amusement Sparks is, you know, how do we get people to come? How do we get them to go through the gate? And how how do we feel uh, like we're doing the best we can to keep them safe? Um, so, you know, I'm not, not going to use this to plug my own product, but uh, my brother's a, a flooring guy. And, um, you know, he has a solution that we're shopping around now 
uh, that was created by this uh, chemist. Um, and it's already approved and whatnot. And basically, you can spray it on just about any surface. Um, and it's inert, so you can even eat it. Um, and it uh, like fuses with these surfaces at an atomic level and can make everything basically as clean as a surgery room uh, for about 10 years at a time for a treatment. What? So, like, stuff can't stick to it? Yeah. Um, and after that, and we've got data on it because we've been testing it at, um, actually at a Publix, uh, down in Florida is uh, our first spot. We've used it on a couple other places too. It essentially turns the surface into like a sort of a glass, um, and, and literally things can't permeate it. So a range of pathogens. So this uh, chemist who invented it, actually his mother died of a superbug that she caught in the hospital. She was in the hospital. They released her. And they didn't realize she had caught one of these superbugs and was, you know, dead a week or two later. Jeez. So he, at that point, uh, made it his life mission. This was about 13 years ago to, to sort of create this stuff. And, uh, you know, so there's a couple other folks out there with similar products. And, you know, without getting too deep on that, you know, I'm confident that we'll find more solutions um, that sort of help. I think mostly really from a perception standpoint, help us feel safe. I start to worry myself about affecting the microbiome too much because it's a, it's an essential part of life um and we've you know we've seen that just with you know uh, over recent years with talks of using of antibiotics uh, too often and how that's sort of damaging our ability to deal with uh, pathogens and um um so so i go a little back and forth on it but at the end of the day if we can create a space where you know, people aren't afraid to touch stuff again uh, because they're not worried that they're going to uh, catch something from it. And let's face it, you know, I mean, I, I've worked at these places and spent a lot of time at them as, you know, sort of a guest undercover. And um, some of them are pretty gross. I mean, you go back back a, ho- back a house particularly where they're cooking this food and, man, those smells that are emanating, it is. I mean, it's it's bacteria city. God knows what lives back there. <laughs> um and, and but we can we can start to eliminate that. We can make them a lot more cleaner. Um, I like to think that it could go hand in hand with a green initiative, which the parks have gotten a little better about. Universal used to have green initiative that they flushed, which just always makes me sort of upset. Yeah, that's horrible. That like that's worse than never having one. I think because it shows that you're intentionally not choosing the progressive solution. Yeah, you just don't care, you know, and you'd rather you'd rather just uh, keep making money than making changes um, that might affect uh, some of that bottom line. And, you know, and that's, it's sort of the same thing we're dealing with now is people say, Hey, look, I need to operate my business, right? I need to make money, whatever that is. Right. And the, you know, what's pushing against it is, Hey, people need to be able to live their lives. And, you know, it's no different with the planet earth. Right. And so that's, uh, you know, and some, to some extent, you know, what, what the giant lands is about is trying to remember that, Hey, we have a responsibility to this planet. And so one nice thing about this is that we, we do remember, at least I think some of us remember that we do have a responsibility to each other. And, um, especially here in the United States of America, where we're so bloody individualistic, um, that to our detriment, you know, it makes us to some extent, the envy of the world, because we get characters like you and I, uh, that come out of it. But, um, you know, at the same time, it, 
you know, we don't have a lot of the, the social institutions uh, that keep us healthy as a society, which is evidenced by how this uh, virus has hit us. Absolutely. That's a that's a great point. And something I keep thinking about during this kind of pandemic is the difference that one individual can make. Um, I don't know. And that's that's a thing like that's kind of a counter argument for someone being vegan, which I'm vegan. So it's a thing that I've you know, had a lot of uh, intellectual debates about. But it's like, what difference does it make if one person's vegan? It's like, well, technically not much at all, really. But if you have faith that other people are also doing the same thing, then there's, you know, power in numbers. This I, I found some examples in COVID-19 stuff where it's like, oh, well, hey, our state is, um, you know, opening back up and the uh, shopping center is really crowded. So why would I stay home? Like everyone else is out here being part of the problem. So shouldn't I also be a part of the problem? It's like, I don't think that's forgivable. Um, just because there's a lot of traffic somewhere doesn't mean you should go there too. It's saying like, hey, people all congregating together, you know, in this kind of unwise way is causing a problem. So maybe we should each make our own decision about what's right and do that instead of just saying, oh, everyone else is doing that. So why? no, I'm going to go out and also, you know, like, I don't know. If you don't trust what, what a leader or some government person is saying, you don't necessarily have to do what they're saying. I mean, as long as you're not hurting someone or breaking the law, but uh, just because you can doesn't mean you have to. And I think this is a good time to kind of check yourself and think about that. And hopefully as the um, theme parks are kind of considering what they're doing, like you said, they can take this as a time to say, this is going to be a big change for us. Let's be intentional about where we're going from here. You know, maybe get some of those green initiatives going again or try to think about other ways to make the parks more inviting or more appealing to people with, you know, safety um, procedures, you know, checking people's temperature at the at the gate, maybe. And then also doing more stuff like contactless payments. And, you know, I think a kind of easy solution that they might do is uh, on like roller coasters, for example, where the cars are pretty close to one another. You know, we're not going to be within we're going to be closer than six feet with strangers. They could put additional like little links in between the cars to, you know, add some social distancing to the coaster. Right. I don't know if that's something that's feasible, but I know that the usual the standard is to not have any empty seats on a coaster. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, from an operational standpoint for throughput, I mean, that can be terribly problematic. So vir- virtual queues. Well, I've seen that term online. What what does that mean exactly for the audience? So a virtual queue, I mean, is really... I mean, you know, it might be sort of my own bias. It's something that was really innovated by uh, Universal. Uh, one of the first uh, virtual queues uh, was at Jimmy Fallon's Ride Through New York. Hmm. So at Jimmy Fallon's Ride Through New York, what you do is you show up and you get a ticket for a ride time. And rather than standing there surrounded by strangers, um, you know, within close quarters, you're able to go kind of mingle and walk around. Um, this was implemented further... Um, on uh, Volcano Bay. Uh, Volcano Bay, the whole idea is the entire park is based on virtual queues. So you have your Tapu Tapu, which is a, a system I helped with. And Wow. I didn't know uh, that. So That's th- cool. That's a really cool system. Yeah, so the Tapu Tapu is like a wearable device, right? So it's a wireless device um, that you sync up with your wallet. Um, so we kind of know who you are when you're in park and you're in your swimsuit. You don't want to carry this stuff around. And you don't have to do it, um, but, you know, it makes your experience a lot more enjoyable. And it's sort of similar with Tapu Tapu, except rather than getting a printed uh, ticket like you do at Fallon, it's all tracked uh, on your wearable device. So you just go in and tap in at one of these entrances uh, to the attraction that you're interested in. 
um, and you get a time for when you're to return uh, to uh, get on the ride immediately. Now, it doesn't always work in practice. You know, um, it may have operationally uh, sorted itself out before its closure uh, due to COVID recently. But you know, there's still usually a little bit of a line, sometimes a big line, depending on uh, the attraction. Uh, once you get there. But the general idea is, hey, I no longer have to stand in line for two hours. I can go lay on the beach. I can go grab a drink and I can come back. So it was part of some really neat uh, studies we did because, interestingly enough, guests sort of had a hard time with this hmm. um, because the weight is part of the experience and they're just used to it and they they don't know what to do with themselves when they're not in line. Um, and sort of have this perception that somehow maybe they're getting skipped or they're losing their place. So we had some psychologists come in and do a study and it was, uh, it was really compelling. Um, and as a model, it is different. Um, it's being carried on. So this is something that, you know, initially it was really done, I think mostly just to increase the time that you're in parks spending cash, frankly. Heck yeah. Um, you know, that's, those are hours wasted where you're captive and you're not doing anything. Uh, and you're certainly not spending any additional dollars. Um, and that's really where the, the parks make a lot of their money. You know, ticket sales are great, but if they can get you to spend another $10 while you're waiting in line, mission accomplished, right? Absolutely. Um, so so now it, 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 it sort of takes on a, a different character about it. Um, and, you know, uh, Disney has continued with this. So Fast Pass. Um, is sort of a virtual queuing system as well, uh, where you can go get tickets for particular rides up to 60 days in advance if you're booked in a hotel, um, 30 days uh, if not, um, and you can get a ticket and a ride time. And they have a special line uh, for those fast pass um, uh, holders. Now, it sort of works but and essentially you're still waiting to wait in line mm -hmm. as opposed to standing in line the whole time so like with uh, uh the galaxy's edge they've taken that to the next step where they call them boarding groups and there's only a certain amount of boarding groups um during a particular day right and you're not sure necessarily if you're going to be able to get in a boarding group um i haven't done it myself so i can't speak to it i only know it secondarily from friends that have done it or from what I've read. Um, but the idea is they're sort of gating, you know, how many people are going through this experience. And particularly with uh, Smuggler's Run, it's, what did they say? It's like a 45-minute experience. I mean, it's a it's a long experience uh, when you get through it. And that includes queuing and, and whatnot. But um, it's a slower, you know, it's not, you know, the throughput, should I say, is lower. Um, and, you know, to some extent, I don't think they, they did it initially uh, for health reasons, so much as just for the practical operational reasons, you know, I think people increasingly look at that model and say, hey, look, we're, we're taking in groups of 10 people, right, there to show up at a particular time, right? We're not accepting more people, you know, just like a, a grocery stores are operating these days. They have a, a capacity limit that's much lower. Now, you know, the, the problem with it is that obviously from an operational standpoint, it increased costs dramatically. Um, but you know, it, it gives the impression of safety. And I imagine just like, uh, you know, we were talking about a minute ago, big players will move more rigidly to try to replicate that sort of safety in a virtual queuing experience where you're gating the numbers that are coming through. 
um, with the goal of eventually relaxing that to get throughput back up. Give Kids the World is an amazing foundation um, that helps terminally ill children live their dream by uh, attending a park. Everything's paid for. They get special treatment. Um, and so my doctor there in Utah, his daughter um, was one of these children um, that was selected to be part of, uh, uh, you know, Give Kids the World. And uh, he, and it may have been through Make-A-Wish, you'll have to forgive me, I haven't looked at it in a little while, but, um, but the idea is they bring these kids down and they're able to kind of live their dream with their family. And, you know, he was, he was so touched, it was so moving uh, to hear his story, particularly because it happened while I was working at Universal. Hmm. Um, given I, you know, wasn't in operation, so I you know, wasn't there uh, helping make their day, but, you know, working behind the scenes to try to create great experiences for people. And, um, you know, he just said, although he enjoyed his experience at Disney, he said uh, Universal particularly said everyone was just so kind um, and so helpful. And it really was just such, such a magical day. And for him, he was really convinced that that experience of going down there uh, through Give Kids the World, um, it helped save his daughter. Wow. She was in recovery. Um, and he just really wanted to say thanks. And, you know, I, I, I try to get better about it these days because, you know, I, I've learned that it's sort of passive aggressive <laughs> when people try to give you praise and you, you deny it. So I've just learned <laughs> to try to be, hum be humble and accept it, you know, but sure. rather than say, well, I didn't really do that, mm -hmm. you know, or I, um, and, you know, because it's a, Particularly, it's, a, it's such a big operation. There's so many moving parts, but, you know, it's a, a really magical thing to be part of a moment that's that special for someone. And it's that special for, you know, these kids. And, you know, uh, to bring them in an, a safe environment um, is not only, you know, immoral, unethical, but um, it's, um, it's just not the experience that we want to give people. And we don't want to have them um, in, in, a, in a, a fear mode when they're there in park. Um, and, you know, part of that is just going to be time uh, for people to feel safe. Um, and, uh, but like I said, there will also be, you know, uh, there also are products and more will come online uh, to help people feel uh, better about being in public spaces. Um, because, you know, part of, you know, another train of thought uh, that's been, um, I don't know, brought to me. And, you know, I, I, I sort of agree with a lot of people say this is the new normal, mm -hmm. right? And that uh, whether it's, you know, uh, COVID-19 or whatever else it is, that this is just what we're going to have to get used to as we move to a more global world. Um, and, you know, that's, that's I think that's a little uh, scary for a lot of folks. And I think there might be some truth to it. Uh but I'd like to think that uh, we can move back because that's, you know, that's where the trauma comes from. We're in a, we're in lockdown. Right. So this is 
Um, this is sort of uh, something that you actually go through over the course of a traumatic experience. You withdraw from the world, right? And you sort of have a hard time uh, getting back out there because you don't trust it. So I think this is something that's, that's sort of affecting a lot of us collectively. Um, that said, um, a good example um, here uh, where I live, the county has not closed its parks. Hmm. So they've been jamming man it's like uh really just sometimes it's a little too much because i am i love going outside and enjoying our parks but they're usually not so crowded uh that these days like i plan on going over today because it's such a gorgeous day and i know there's going to be too many people there that said i notice people are being pretty good about it you know people are keeping their distance um and even though it is certainly more crowded than before uh people seem to be taking it on their own uh, to engage in these new behaviors. Right. And I think we've also kind of all been through this together. Like we're all feeling cooped up. So going outside, I feel like people are friendlier to one another and they're not like, I don't know, as just in the stuck in their rut about how they, they treat people and they're stressed out and traffic and yada, yada. Like I feel like people are kind of connecting with each other more, like even though you can't get, you know, can't like touch the other person but you can like have more more empathy and you know that you've both been through some annoyances and you kind of both need this like nice sunshiny day so hopefully people are you know going to be kinder to each other and and also consider each other's safety and be respectful of each other's distances like i remember when they first made the you know suggestions of keeping six feet apart one of my neighbors posted on uh next door like I'm, you know, I'm in a, a risky, you know, demographic for this, you know, someone who's like 70 in their seventies and they're like, no one at the grocery store stays six feet away from me. People are just like bumping into me and standing right behind me in line. Like, why aren't young people taking this seriously? And hopefully now everyone's taking it seriously to the point where it's like, let's respect each other's personal space. Like more than, you know, is normal. Like let's do what is, uh, is considered respectful now and keep that six feet away. But also, you can still be happy and still smile at someone and still be nice to each other, you know, not cut people off in traffic. But so I don't know. I, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Like, uh, people definitely are crowding over those little sources of joy, um, especially when the weather's nice. And hopefully people are still, you know, being respectful and having that as a, a positive moment when seeing like, hey, a bunch of people are here. Um, maybe we need to make sure we're keeping a healthy distance from each other or maybe find a different place to go have fun and enjoy this sunshine so that we're not causing a, you know, health issue here. Yep. Well, and it's, you know, it's a, an interesting, you know, uh, well, it's interesting that you bring it up, this idea that the empathy, because there's, uh, I think, I don't remember who I first uh, saw say something about it online, but, you know, there's a lot of truth to it. That one real positive thing to take away from this is that, we are going to have something that basically everyone on planet Earth, for arguably the first time in you know collective memory at least, um, an, a common experience. You can say, well, where were you? You know, what happened? And it's not like Hiroshima, right? It's not like a bomb just dropped on one city and everybody hear, heard about it. This bomb has gone everywhere. Um, and so, you know, and that's, you know, that's the basis of empathy. So I like to think that it will create a lot more empathy among us across, uh, you know, internally in nations, but also across borders. And, um, it's, uh, you know, so I think there are some great things to come out of it as well. I mean, 
you know, you keep seeing these sort of silly stories about, you know, dolphins swimming in Venice, which may or may not be true. But we know that pollution levels have dropped a lot. Hole, holes in the ozone are closing. I mean, that's insane. Yeah, it's it's a cool moment to, to point out like, hey, look, uh, if we quit driving cars so much, look what happens even in the short term. It's pretty amazing. Like I, I wasn't expecting to see that, but it's like, man, this is what I always wanted to happen. It's like, <laughs> hey guys, let's take a day off from consuming as much and then see if something good happens. But it's hard to get a coordinated effort. So yeah, that's been really cool to see and follow those kinds of news stories. And one other thing, like on the kind of empathy piece, this is kind of like a common language, right? We'll all remember where we were, or what happened during this, but hopefully it can be a shorthand as well for kind of communicating about like, let's say mental health or people going through trauma or depression, because this is a thing that, you know, people who are, who don't have any kind of like, you know, mental illness or they don't feel like they've ever been depressed or whatever. It's like, this uh, can be kind of a shorthand for communicating and, and sharing what it feels like, uh, to go through something, you know, it's like now everyone has been forced to kind of go through this and can realize just how crappy it can be, you know, even on paper, if it doesn't sound that bad, like, hey, stay home, uh, you know, work from home, stay six feet apart from people, like doesn't sound that bad, but like actually living through it for weeks or months, um, most likely months, has been pretty exhausting for a lot of people. And I know I've been under a lot more uh, stress and kind of anxiety than, than really ever before just because of this and feeling so powerless. Um, and I'm naturally pretty empathetic, but it also has kind of highlighted like, man, I kind of, I think not, not that I've lived through, you know, depression necessarily, but I feel like I've got more, uh, that I can relate to when someone's saying that they're feeling, you know, depressed or they're going through, through these kinds of experiences that are really, really negative. It's like, man, I remember, how out of out of uh, control or how powerless I felt during COVID nineteen's quarantine because like I can't do anything about this. All I can do is control my who I am and what I'm doing, and that still is not going to come up uh, smelling like roses all the time. So hopefully that does yeah help people connect to each other and be a little more thoughtful forever <laughs> going forward. But sorry, yeah, you were talking about um, environmental benefits that have kind of shown themselves. Yeah, so that, you know, just, you know, relating the idea that there are some positives uh, to be had from it. And, you know, it's it's just as you said, it didn't take that long uh, for some of these effects to start happening, right? And um, we couldn't do it, right? I mean, we haven't been able to do it. I mean, we've known uh, that our behaviors collectively are adversely affecting the entire planet. And we've known that for a long time. And, you know, some people have tried to counter that in recent years, but I think it's pretty clear to most of us. And um, this, you know, God bless it, really, this COVID-19 somehow has done that. And, you know, people were talking about, and I'm sure there's plenty of cases of, you know, increased domestic abuse and whatnot. But mostly what I'm hearing is, you know, what you just relayed, that a lot of people are getting closer uh, to, to others, um, whether it's uh, people that are, are isolated by themselves and are doing extra work to try to reach out to those, those they care about, um, or people that are just trapped in the house uh, with their uh, their loved ones and, uh, you know, have to spend a lot more time uh, together. And uh, most of what I've heard is, is positive. You know, uh, it drives me a, a little batty sometimes because I'm, you know, I don't know, I'm a I'm, I'm an introverted extrovert, you know, so I, I get extroverted sometimes and I love to go out uh, with people, but other times I really need to be alone, 
especially if I'm in the mode of, of writing or, you know, sometimes it'll hit me when I'm in public, but a lot of times it's about finding that space. So, and that's, that's challenging. Um, and, uh, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day though, it's, uh, it, it really is strengthening in a lot of relationships and um, and that's that's a really positive thing. You know, it's a, it's a it's a challenging time and uh, it's unprecedented and um, it'll be interesting to see how um, people respond, but just as I've been talking to potential clients about with this other product, you know, it's going to take a multi-tiered strategy. It's going to take an approach that really looks at all aspects of how a company operates, um, and just really tightens that safety net. Um, and it'll also happen, hopefully, you know, on a national level. Um, and we say, hey, we need to keep each other safe. And, you know, I, I God bless Universal for uh, bringing this into my life. Um, you know, I think safety was something that was always sort of important to me. But, you know, you know, definitely, you know, I've had my share of risky behaviors. And it's nice, though, when I was at Universal, they gave me just some really fantastic, it was OSHA training. Um, but it really taught me to pay attention to safety in the workplace um, and even just not in the workplace. And I think one of the, the best messages I got out of that was safety starts with you. You know, just as you were saying about, um, you know, not wanting to take the advice of a particular politician or whoever, or this, that, the other thing. At the end of the day, you need to keep yourself safe, right? And, and if everyone is worried about safety, it helps everybody. The benefits it benefits everyone because at the end of the day you're creating a safer environment and if if you're being more safe and other people are more safe collectively you know uh, we'll come together in a safer space and you know I see a lot of people being unsafe so these days sometimes I'm like wow it's my job to help people be more safe mm -hmm. and it's it's uh, I'm not getting paid for it um, and sometimes you know people get sort of upset by it but you know. And I'm amazed. Like, for instance, PPE. You hear everyone saying PPE. I'm like, wow, that's really, that's sort of surreal. Because um, I'm a, I was a PP advocate for a long time there, mostly because we're working on construction sites. Um, and we need to be protected and uh, keep each other safe. Because, uh, again, it's sort of the same the same sort of thing. You just don't want anyone to die. You don't want to die. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> what a concept. Yeah, right? And Because it won't be fun in all kinds of ways. And it'll hurt. Right. Um, and uh, and whatever business that you're in, um, that's that's, you know, the, the fir of first and foremost importance. And uh, so I think to some extent, uh, theme parks are already ahead of the curve because they try to really create a place where you can come live and safely, uh, you know, live out your dreams, you know, in this sort of fantasy world. Um, but, you know, there's there's going to have to be a lot of things that change and. You know, the real scary part is going to be when it opens and who goes there first. And I know I miss I miss a lot of parks myself, um, you know, mostly just because right now I haven't, I haven't been going much uh, past year. But, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to be hungry to get in there. But, man, I'd, I even I'd be scared, um, let alone to bring your kids over there. Uh, and uh, there's going to be a lot of trial and error, I think. But that's there's not there's not a lot of room for error. You know, can you imagine if there's just one event 
at Disney when they open or even or even someone claims that there's an event. You know, I mean, it it would uh, it would wreck them pretty quickly. And then and then what you'll have is park, you know, attendance numbers fall off for a long time, even if they are open. Um, which would be of a detriment uh, to, you know, I think everything we're trying to do as an industry. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's uh, it's problematic, but I think we're, we're moving towards uh, uh, finding some solutions. And, you know, if you go read up on it, you know, all kinds of people have been sort of publishing social distancing apps, like HollowViz put one out. I think Attractions Magazine put one out in park, I think. Um, so there's – we're kind of ahead of the curve, I think, in trying to figure it out. But uh, what that solution is, you know, I don't think any of us have, have, have uh, quite put it together. You know, we're still just trying to figure out how to go to the grocery store. So. <laughs> Very true. But I do think it'll be kind of gradual and take a bunch of different solutions working in tandem. Um, and I do think it's going to be kind of convenient, honestly, if the numbers, you know, people start trickling back into the theme parks instead of everyone showing up on day one, they'll be able to hopefully scale up the solutions at an appropriate pace to where they can stay safe and stay vigilant and keep, keep maintaining everything as the parks get busier and busier. Um, but those new, you know, security measures, kind of like when they first put in, um, you know, metal detectors, it might be really scary that day. It might make the news that day, but six years later, people are just treating that as normal and realizing this keeps us safe. It doesn't slow down our life any. You know, if people are just like scanning your, you know, your forehead as you're there, also scanning your ticket to get into the park, uh, that's not going to slow you down any. And it's going to make sure that no one with, you know, a huge crazy fever is is in the theme park. So really, it does make us more safe by drawing attention to the threats, which can be kind of scary. Like, you know, seeing a metal detector in a school building or something like that's like, oh, man, what are the implications of that? Well, the implications really are that no one's going to have a gun or, you know, any metal that they're not supposed to have. So it's a, a safer place. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't know. It, I get why it could kind of raise some eyebrows at first, but the long-term effect is you're going to be protected from this thing we're looking for. So I don't know why, yeah, people would be, like, upset about that. So hopefully it'll all become normal, like you said, the new normal. Um, paying for things online instead of handing someone your dirty, nasty paper money uh, might, you know, might happen. Some of the technological things will be almost like forced to be adopted more, but I think that's okay. I feel like in the long run, that's going to work out and you can still make those experiences more, more magical and more fun and whimsical, like the Tapu Tapu thing you were talking about. Um, I feel like there's ways we can integrate those, you know, masks can be decorated, you know, if people have to wear, uh, masks to, to keep themselves safe in more crowded situations, you can have those, you know, themed or as part of a costume. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I feel like you can embrace those things from a themed entertainment perspective to make, make things just as, just as fun and enjoyable as theme parks always have. But just like always, they are evolving. Um, and you know, maybe there'll be less, super crowded attractions where everyone's in one area and you know playgrounds will need to be cleaned more often or maybe reconsidered altogether um but yeah we'll we'll see how all that goes and shakes out and i'm excited to see to see where it ends up well and to that you know uh, one of the things we often talk about in industry it's been a topic for a number of years is creating more intimacy creating more personalization um, so that you're not dealing with such big crowds and audiences. And this idea, you know, sort of comes into bringing games into the park, which is, you know, what Amusement Sparks is all about. And, and part of that is creating an experience where um, you're catering more towards the individual. So to some extent, this might help us better get there. 
Because who knows, you know, maybe some of the first people in the park will have an amazing, mind-blowing experience. Because I know myself, sometimes it's fun to be in the parks when they're really crowded. It's just like sometimes going to a crowded movie theater is great fun and get everyone hooting and hollering at the picture and stuff. And that can be a good time, but there's other times when it's really nice to have that intimacy and to feel like you sort of have the space to yourself. Shortly before kind of the shutdown and stuff happened, I went to an escape room with a friend and like they, instead of joining, you know, a group of like all together, like eight to 12 people or whatever, it was just the two of us. Like they were the the escape room company was taking it upon themselves to say, okay, whoever you, you rode here with, that's who's going to be in your room. So it's private rooms only. And it was a really interesting experience because normally, I don't know, like at least half the puzzles, maybe up to three quarters of the puzzles are solved by other people and you like didn't even get to see them in action. But this, the two of us solved it, just the two of us, which was really cool. So I don't know, that, that intimacy, that um, ability to kind of make people, you know, smaller experiences to me, it feels a lot more rewarding and I feel more uh, agency and more kind of in character, so to speak, where I'm, you know, able to, you know, get my, like, imagination really going instead of if I'm in, you know, like a huge concert venue with tons of other people doing the same thing at the same time. Um, I do think the intimacy is, is something that some of us might be kind of missing or kind of looking forward to about this stuff. Yeah, very much so. You know, it's uh, sort of like going to, uh, you know, a small theatrical show. Mm-hmm. There's this experience that's done through a company called Dot 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 in London. I did, uh, I guess, a couple years back at this point. Um, they had a, an experience they were running called Somni. And, um, yeah, there was only for groups of four. So I went there alone and was paired up with three strangers. And we had the experience uh, together, and it was solvable. Um, you know, the other side of it, though, is that we might see an uptick in prices, which is hard to believe given some of the pricing strategy out of Disney. But, you know, it's going to it's going to cost more money to deliver those sorts of experiences. Right. Because their operating costs are going to be largely the same, regardless of the admission that day. They still have to run all the rides and the electricity and pay all the employees who were there that day. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tricky. I could definitely see them needing to shift gears a bit to to save money or, you know, cut different things, close certain attractions that that aren't viable anymore. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for, for being on the show. I know this wasn't our normal, like, phase one, like, design type of stuff, but uh, it's important to talk about and kind of consider, and um, I don't know, still kind of entertaining, and I'm excited to see what different entertainment companies can come up with for making these experiences going forward just as magical without being able to rely on, you know, hundreds of, or a hundred years of, of history, approximately, with uh, themed entertainment. It's a, a good time to start taking some steps forward and being more intentional like we covered. So thank you very much for being on, on the show and, and sharing your expertise. Um, if the audience is interested, where can they find more about you? Yeah, thanks so much uh, for having me on, Andrew. It's always a pleasure to be part of uh, this podcast. I love uh, love what you do with it. So yeah, if uh, you want to learn more of my work, uh, probably go check out my uh, most recent project uh, that's currently in development called Giantlands um, at giantlands.com. Um, and you can generally find me on social if you have any ad- additional questions. All right, everybody, stay safe out there, and hopefully we can all uh, get through this together, right, and end up in a better place. 